Hi, this is Deborah Cohen in the beautiful state of Georgia, USA, inviting you to listen and share about this much debated topic, abortion, in the roaring 20s that we are now in, 2022. So I will be back after this brief message. And by that intro, maybe you're wondering, why does she have a hula hoop on? And of course, if you're watching on Restream, you won't be able to see the videos that I'm sharing. So that's why I'm suggesting that you watch and participate on Facebook because you will see everything I'm sharing from my screen. For some reason, Restream doesn't do that. It just shows me the whole time and who wants to just keep looking at me? That's beside the point, right? So go to facebook.com slash as life happens D-O-T-O-R-G to find my profile where you will see the unedited view of this discussion today. Abortion as a societal symptom in the USA. And I am just sharing from my life experiences. And I am abstaining from judgment, but sharing how things were very different when I was growing up as a young woman in the 60s. So let me begin by showing you what I mean statistically. And again, if you're on Restream, you're not going to see any of this, unfortunately. So I'll try to describe it for you on Restream. If you go to a website called johnstonsarchive.net and look at the graphs from that website, in particular, we're looking at United States abortion rates in the 1960s and this particular graph goes up to 2013. And what I want you to notice, if you're able to see the graph, is that in 65, the graph starts at zero, which means we in the 60s didn't make a public demonstration of wanting abortions under women's rights. That was not a topic until nearing the 70s, apparently, when the abortion rate escalated around 68, I believe. And I just want you to know that when I was growing up, there, there were no abortion rights for women being publicly voiced in the United States. I'm not giving you a reason why, or I'm not going to give you my opinion of why, but I will share my personal struggle going through that myself as a once worldly soul, <laughs> meaning I did not live 
a holy life in my early 20s because I was in a rock and roll band and lived like the devil, I guess you could say. And um, not that rock and roll is devilish. I'm just saying I didn't live according to the Bible because that's what the foundation is of this discussion. Now, the first thing we need to do is decide or understand or learn what is holy. So I'm looking at firm, firmisrael.org to share a definition. The meaning of holy is often defined by the culture around us, but the ancient biblical culture gives us a very specific perspective on this unique word. Now, Merriam-Webster says that holy is religious or morally good, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. For this reason, when we read about people like holy priests who ministered to God in the tabernacle, we cannot relate to them. That is because we feel like we're not good enough to fit into that category. So the understanding of what it means when God asks us to be holy as he is holy, this is what we're trying to define. Hebrew is a unique language when it comes to word studies. Every word carries the meaning of the root word that is derived from from originality. In this way, the Hebrew word for holy is kodesh, coming from the root word kadash. In simpler terms, it means to be set apart for a specific purpose. So thinking about being holy means to be set apart. And when we're talking not here about the abortion issue per se, but the cause or the symptom of people wanting to have an abortion. Now, there are times when it's medically necessary to save the life of the mother. We're not talking about that. We're talking about promiscuity here, which is a, a reason for the rise in abortions in this day and age. So let's look at the definition of promiscuity. A synonym for promiscuity is fornication, sexual intercourse between people not married to each other. So one of the reasons that abortion has become so popular now, pro, is because of sexual activity outside of marriage or adultery, which in the Bible is strictly forbidden. However, there are some branches of religion that say that we need to change the understanding of the Bible because we're not talking about tradition. It, this tradition of saving yourself from marriage doesn't fit today's description of many religions, specifically Judaism and Christianity. Now, as far as I know, in my past studies of Islam, it is still very much forbidden for a woman to have sex outside of marriage. In Islam, they look at the woman's virginity 
as a sign of purity, a gift that the girl or the family, the honor of the family is given to the husband. So if in Islam, they look at if you give your daughter to a man and she happens not to be a virgin, they have grounds for divorce. And the mentality is to look at it like you're giving your husband to be a used gift. And that's dishonoring in Islam. But we're talking about today's society in the United States. And I'm talking about Judaism and Christianity because I have experience personally in both being raised a Catholic, where they they clump together fornication with adultery. And there was a time when I was growing up as a Catholic where if you were divorced and you remarried, you were considered an adulteress. They would not allow you to be remarried once you were divorced. So things do change, traditions change, and the question is, what are we doing about our traditions today? Looking at abortion as a symptom of a deeper problem, which means there's more premarital sex in the United States, and is that okay? Well, Let's look at an article by MyJewishLearning.com where many liberal authorities point out the need to develop a new sexual ethic to address the reality of premarital sex. Arthur Weskow, a leader in the Jewish Renewal Movement, suggests altering our expectation of marriage to, quote, make it easy for sexually active people from puberty on to enter and leave marriages, end quote. The conservative and reform Judaism movements, while still stressing the ideal of marital sex, have acknowledged that Judaism's position on human sexuality is not consonant with the trends of contemporary life, in which people often do not marry until after their 30s. So, is there anything in the Bible actually written that says you can't have sex before marriage? And while I'm looking for this information, I will share a video with you. And again, I apologize on Restream. You're not going to see this. You're just going to see me looking for something. <laughs> hey, I'm a baby boomer. And I was just wondering, I thought I'd ask you all a question. I'm a musician, Deborah Cohen, and the big issue is Roe versus Wade, and at least in the United States. And I remember when I was a baby boomer in the 60s, and there was no discussion publicly about abortion. So it seems to have changed. I'm just not sure what the it is, but I think I know what it is. And I even wrote a song about it called Forgive me, and I think that's what the problem is with it. So listen to the lyrics of this song that I wrote a long time ago, and tell me what you think it is, and be nice, okay? Be nice. We're just having a chat. Uh -huh. 
Okay, so that was the younger me in the video. If you watched it, forgive me. <laughs> I wrote the words in the 90s, 1990s, when I was trying to live a set-apart life for God. I was not brought up that way. I come from a world where um, women understood that in order to get married, they had to be good in bed. And that was the uh, peace, love, and understanding of the hippies in the 60s. You just kind of, now I wasn't loose as a goose, but I definitely did have premarital sex. So just by my own admission, you know, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just trying to understand and process this because it's coming around full circle this time brought about because of the public voice of women's rights in 2022. So I've established that in the 60s, there were no protests by women for abortion rights. Something has changed in this country, in this world, uh, that's not unique to the United States, but I live in this country, so I'm talking about this country. And over the decades, it has become a public right until Roe versus Wade reversed the decision this week. And all of a sudden, it's not okay. <laughs> but I don't know why po politically they decided that. I guess they're uh, promoting abstinence uh, until marriage. I doubt it, but uh, I don't know what the deal is. I'm it's hard to make this discussion without hostility because people get upset and I don't blame them. But I'm just trying to put on the table a deeper uh, consideration to look at in this very sensitive subject. And that is the definition of what is a promiscuous person. According to the Bible, now, the video that you just looked at with me, I wrote the words, it's called Forgive Me, because I was really struggling with trying to remain chaste until marriage. And it's pretty hard to do when 
everybody is just kind of sleeping around in this country. Not, not everybody, but you know what I mean? It's a hyperbole. There are sex of S-E-C-T-S, sex of cultures, maybe, that actually do honor uh, a covenant. They look at it as a covenant where a blood covenant, when you remember, maybe you were in a crazy uh, situation as teenagers where you were going to be best friends forever, BFA. And the way that you did that is you actually made a slice in your skin, a small slice, and made a blood pact. That's the same mentality forever. So when you break the hymen of a woman, a young woman, or an, I don't know about an old woman like me, but you break the hymen, you're creating a covenant, a blood covenant. And it's a forever covenant. God hates divorce. He's, and But sometimes it happens. Again, I've walked through it, so I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying this is a different way to look at this situation biblically. So let's look at Deuteronomy 23:18 because we're trying to find out what is holy, what is to be set apart in this situation. Now in in Deuteronomy 23:18 this particular translation says there shall not be a promiscuous woman and there shall not be a promiscuous man in your society. So we've already established what the word promiscuous means premarital sex. A person who hands his daughter over to another man for the purpose of marriage performs a meritorious act, at least in some societies. If he hands her over not for the purpose of marriage, he degrades her, brings the nation down spiritually. There's discussion of seduction in the mitzvah number 61, and rape and mitzvah number 557, which are crimes and which fines must be paid. But if a sexual act is completely consensual between a man and a woman, it is not a crime and there is no fine, but it is still not permitted because of this mitzvah. The Rambam, Nachmanides, understands this mitzvah differently, and he says that relationships between unmarried people are not inherently prohibited by the Torah, only relations between two people who would not be permitted to marry. So in other words, he's saying under Jewish law, it's okay to have premarital sex if you have every intention of marrying each other. Therefore, he says that this verse prohibits promiscuity because a promiscuous person does not tend to examine whether a potential partner is someone fit for them to marry. For example, a prostitute is not likely to ask her client if he's a Cohen. <laughs> Heaven forbid. So this position is supported by the Talmudic definition of a znus, which the word in Hebrew means promiscuity as relations between two people who are unfit to wed in Yavamos 61a. All right, and without getting too biblically oriented in this discussion, because it's supposed to be more a story and a song, let's look again at the Bible definition of the word in question, which sometimes causes the need for an abortion. And again, I apologize if you're watching on twitch.tv. I'm not sure if you can see 
my screen, I know that on Restream, you're only seeing me. You, you don't see a screen share, unfortunately. Now in Deuteronomy 23.18, we're looking at the particular word Zana or Zana. Zana is a whore. So thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the prince of a dog into the house of God. So what is a whore? In Hebrew, it's a Zana. So let me go to that in my Bible. And this is a verb, a verb actually, and it actually means according to the biblical definition to commit fornication, to be a harlot, to play the harlot, to commit fornication, to commit adultery, to be a cult prostitute, to be unfaithful to God, to cause, to commit adultery, to force into prostitution, or to commit fornication. So, at one time, the Bible says, according to this interpretation, that if you have premarital sex with no intention to marry, you are a whore or a harlot. And don't get mad at me. I'm just looking at the Bible and trying to understand what is happening in this world. There was a time in the 50s where if a man and a woman lived together in the same apartment in the United States, that woman was called a whore or, or a floozy. You were definitely frowned upon. It was shameful. There was a time in the 50s and 60s, if you did get an abortion, which were very few, according to the graph we just looked at, you did it away from the society you lived in in secret, and it was not talked about because it was shameful. So I'm just asking, is this secretive society in the 60s where women did not voice their opinion, pro-abortion, was it because it was shameful in the eyes of God, or who, who decided it was shameful all of a sudden? And in this day and age, apparently it's not shameful at all because the women in 2022 are fighting, some of them, for abortion, although it was recently overturned. This is a very personal decision that you make, and it's really between you and God. And so if you haven't learned these things growing up, which... I didn't, then this isn't even a, a discussion. And that's a very sad thing when you don't even know your creator. And as a result, you're living far from God because you nobody ever told you that this is something that God asks you to do to live set apart, a holy life for God. This is not, I'm not talking pro or against abortion. I am talking about holiness and how we are to live for God as his children. There's a lot of room for discussion and my chat room is very quiet right now. So let me play another video while I let you think about what we're saying here. Just one more time, I'm gonna pick up the loaded gun. 
And so again, I am Deborah Cohen, and I'm talking about abortion is a symptom, but what is the cause? In many, many, many cases, based on our discussion today, it's about holiness. What does holiness mean to you? I presented you with some information in this segment for you to think about. God wants you to keep, to me, it means God wants you to keep your intimate relationship with your significant other special just between two people that have dedicated their lives in a contract called marriage. Actually, you can think of your relationship with God if you have one as a contract. It's a commandment. It's a Brit in Hebrew where you live a set apart life being placed in a world that oftentimes is contrary to what what is written. And for Christians out there that have been told that you don't, you're not living a contract with God because you have the new contract, that's a bunch of, if you think about it, for those of you that say you follow Jesus Christ, I just ask you, what book did he teach from? He didn't teach from the New Testament because it wasn't written then. So think about it. I'm asking you to think about your relationship with God. That's what this is all about. And I was no poly purebred. So I'm just laying out my cards and saying, I wish I had known when I was younger, I wouldn't have made the mistakes I made. We, we supposedly get better when we learn from our mistakes. And I have chosen and continue to choose to live my life set apart for God and hope that each one of us does also as children of God. We want to come together in one united family. And the Torah was given to us on Mount Sinai for those who have ears and eyes to hear and see. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to understand what God wants from each one of us individually. But if you do believe that you have a soul and God breathed soul into man and woman and they became a living being, that soul is a part of God. It's called a spark. Some people call it a soul, spirit. And with that measure of breath from God, we struggle with living in this physical world as a soul a soul with a voice, a soul very much with emotions, a soul that lives within our earth suit, trying to find our way on this journey called life. And the destination is the journey. So how is your journey? If you've made mistakes, it, we all make mistakes. There's nobody perfect in this world. God is not expecting us to be perfect, but he wants us to make a special day for him called Shabbat. 
He wants us to live a set apart life for him. That means making choices. He gave us free will to choose each day to live for him. Now, the Torah is interpreted according to rabbinic Judaism, and I encourage you to study different rabbis because they all don't agree. (laughs) That's not why I'm asking you to study, but I'm just saying not all rabbis say the same thing about the Torah either, but we're in this era of rabbinic Judaism to help us to understand how are we to live. And from the song, Forgive Me, that I will share the lyrics with you in closing, it was a huge struggle for me. In the 90s when I wrote this, I was trying to abstain from sex before marriage, and I wasn't always winning the battle. And it was a battle. And I know for many of you, it is a battle. But God expects us to live a set-apart life, holy unto God. And I will let you, of course, decide what it means to live a holy life. And in the third verse of my song, Forgive Me, you'll hear it here. The struggle for me in the 90s was, I want to please my man physically, but it was outside of marriage. And I also wanted to please God, which at this point I knew fornication was wrong. And maybe some of you are in that boat. And I can totally empathize with you. I'm just sharing this information to let you know you're not alone, to be encouraged to stay in the word. And uh, God is very forgiving. And uh, he's calling each one of us to live together in a spirit of unity, set apart a holy nation, a holy priesthood, not according to the way human beings translate these words, but according to what God is saying throughout all generations. So let's look at the words and you can maybe feel the struggle I had in the 90s (laughs) as a once single woman who very much wanted to be married. And yes, I am today. Just one more time, I'm gonna pick up the loaded gun. I'm gonna go out tonight, I'm gonna have some fun. Just one more time, I'm gonna pick up the loaded gun